Please get a Bible and turn with me to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23. I want you to look at the scripture. If there's a Bible underneath there, or maybe one behind you there, or you can share with one another. We've been, uh, last of Wednesday night, I talked to you about the first saying from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Tonight will be the second saying from the cross, Today thou shalt be with me. Luke 23, I think I'll begin reading with verse 39. And one of the male factors which were hang railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We need to take off our shoes tonight because we're on holy ground. It was no accident that the Lord of glory was crucified between two thieves. There are no accidents with God who governs this world, and especially on this day of all days, in this event of all events. A day and an event at the very center of the world's history. You see, God was presiding over Calvary's scene. God was there. From all eternity, he had determined and decreed when and where and how and with whom his son should die. 700 years before Pilate spoke that Christ should hang between two thieves, God declared through Isaiah that his son should be numbered with the transgressors in Isaiah 53:12. God's amazing grace can most clearly be seen in the salvation of this wretch who hung on the very verge of hell on the ledge of the pit of destruction. You see, this thief had no moral life before his conversion. He had no works to bring to offer to God. And he had no life of active service after he was about to die. So no good works before, and no opportunity to produce good works after. Before his conversion, he respected neither the law of God nor the law of man. After his conversion, he died without having opportunity to engage in any type of service to Christ. The dying thief had no good works, either before or after conversion. Thus, if saved at all, 
he was certainly to be saved by sovereign grace. His conversion occurred at a time when to all outward appearance, Christ had lost all power to save either himself or others. This is an amazing conversion. He had followed along with the Savior through the streets of Jerusalem. And as you remember the story, he saw Jesus sink beneath the weight of the cross. Being a thief and robber, it is highly probable that this was the first day he had ever set his eyes on the Lord Jesus. And now that he did see him, it was under every circumstance of weakness and disgrace. Jesus was forsaken by all, and his crucifixion was regarded as utterly inconsistent with his Messiahship. You see, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah who was literally going to give them victory over the Roman Empire. How can we possibly account for such a faith? How can we explain the fact that this dying thief took a suffering, bleeding, crucified man for his God? How do you explain that? That this guy hanging on the cross said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, it must be divine intervention. Divine intervention is what you and I needed as well. A supernatural operation. A miracle of God's grace. This thief cried, Lord, remember me, before the supernatural phenomena of that day. You remember before the hours of darkness. You remember when the, when the earth got really dark there at Calvary as Jesus hung on the cross. Well, the thief said this before that happened, before the rending of the temple veil from bottom to top, before the earthquake. You see, genuine conversion is the direct product of the supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm, I say to you constantly. Those of you who are here without Christ, nothing has worked. This is the only thing that works. A super operation of the Holy Spirit on your inside who gives you life. So let's look at this. Surely this thief is a representative of sinners in all ages. Prior to the time when this thief repented and believed, there was no essential difference between the two thieves. Both of them were thieves. There was no difference. And the scripture says in Matthew 27, the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. The, both the thieves at one time on the cross were mocking Christ. If you be the Christ, come down off the cross, save yourself and of course us along with you. You see, there is no difference. You are a sinner and no better than the person sitting next to you. You are not better. Or worse, you're a sinner in need of a supernatural work inside of you, in need of redemption and salvation. 
Romans 3, 22 and 23 says this, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I hear people all the time, for 50-some years I've heard people declare, I'm different. Oh, oh, I smoke a little pot, but I've never used heroin. You know, I've been drunk a few times, but I've never used hard drugs. You know what they're trying to say? I'm different. But you're not. You are a sinner and are going to perish in your sins. Unless Jesus comes where you are and does for you what you cannot do for yourself. Very true. Amen. Uh, these men uh, in their dying hours derided the suffering Savior. What a, what a demonstration of human depravity. In their worst moment, hanging on the cross, they derided Christ. Some of you sit here service after service and you make fun of me preaching. You make light of the gospel or, or religion. You wish you weren't here. See, you're no different. You're just like these thieves. In fact, there, there is no difference. Say, well, I, I'm converted now, Pastor. I don't do that at all. I, I know. But who makes you to differ from another? That's the big question. If you're different now, you're converted now. Who was it that did that? I want you to say, it was grace. It was God's amazing grace that I'm still not out there. And that's what it's going to take to bring you to the foot of the cross in conversion, the grace of God. To you lost ones, I say that this depravity is likewise in you. And unless a miracle of grace is wrought, you will react the same. You see, the heart is deceitful. Say, if I know my heart. You don't. It's wicked. It's deceitful. Your heart is deceitful. Who told you? Try it again. It'll work this time. Use again. You'll, you'll find what you're looking for. Your heart is deceitful. Or how about chipping just a little bit? You know, you're going through a lot. Baloney. Your heart is deceitful. You don't know your own heart until you're converted. Then, then you know you're desperately wicked in your flesh. And in your flesh dwells no good thing. So, here's what the Bible says. In Romans 8, 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. Do you know your mind, your natural mind, is not at enmity, it's enmity itself. It's always against God. Your natural mind is against God. That's, that's the problem. You're going to have to be made a workmanship of God, a new creation. Something's got to happen, a, a creation, a new you. A new creature. This one thief said, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Well, now that's strange. A few minutes before that, he was making light of Christ. And now he is saying to the other thief, We're both here in condemnation and we're guilty. Don't you fear God? You see, it's not until our desperate condition is realized that we discover our need of a divine Savior. You don't know how rotten you are. Once you find out, the first cry of your heart will be, Oh God, I need a Savior. Help me. Save me. 
You see, we must be abased before we can be exalted, and that's what God does. At some point in time, if God's going to convert you, He's going to bring you to the end of your own way. You're not going to have any trust in yourself. No trust in yourself. We have to be stripped of the filthy rags of our self-righteousness. You know, I am pretty bad, but I can tell you right now, I'm not as bad as a lot of people. Same old stuff. No, you're not there yet. It's not until you come to see that you're worse than most people. Because you don't see other people. You only see you and your depravity and your, your sins. See, you come to God as a beggar, not telling God what he ought to do for you. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. You come to God empty-handed. A sinner must come to the end of himself before he can be saved. We must not only see ourselves lost but undone and that we can do nothing to help ourselves. We must see that we're beyond human repair. You're not going to make it right. You have nothing to work with. Nothing at all. We're without strength. That means you're impotent. You're without any strength to save yourself. Man must look outside of himself for salvation. And surely this thief there on the cross did just that. You see, he could not walk in the path of righteousness because his feet were nailed to the cross. He could not perform any good works for there were nails through his hands. He could not turn over a new leaf and live better because he was dying. The sinner must be cut off from his workings and be made willing to be saved by Christ alone. And that's what I attempt to do here with the help of the Holy Spirit to cut you off, to tell you to shut up, shut your mouth and quit talking about how good you are or how better you are. Cut you off till there's nothing left but Christ alone. Be merciful to me, the sinner. And then conversion comes. Secondly, in this thief, we see a true manifestation of repentance and faith. He said, we indeed justly. You know, if God sends you to hell, it'll be just. And by the way, if God takes you to heaven, he'll be just. God will be just. He's a holy God and what he does is absolutely right. He, he himself became your reconciler, your redeemer, your propitiation, your justifier. He's just and justifier of the ungodly. You needed somebody that was able to be just and holy and righteous. Not a judge you could pay off. What a crooked thing that is to go into court and a judge has been paid off. Now... God found a way to be just and justifier of the ungodly and take you to heaven without getting himself dirty. Isn't that something? How can God lay hold of you, dirty person, and not get himself dirty? Well, God found a way to do that in just and justification. The thief acknowledged his guilt and the justice of his condemnation. He owns his sinnership. His sins have found him out. He passes sentence upon himself. Have you done that yet? Have you passed sentence upon yourself? 
Oh, it's, you know, there must be something wrong with the drops. You're not quite there yet. Lie like a rug. Do you know people lie like a rug? Somebody ought to say amen. I I hope you know that. I didn't do it. Really? Really? How come it's getting quiet in here? This repentance, when the sinner feels that punishment itself is sweet. I mean, when, when you feel I'm getting exactly what I deserve, it's only right because you are so deeply sensible to what sin deserves. Are you sensible to that? That if God sent you to hell, he would just give, be giving you what you deserved. What an amazing thing it is not to go to hell. God's not going to hear the last of it when I see him either. Amen. Amen. Have you taken this position before God? The thief's repentance towards God was accompanied with faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He trusted Christ. What an amazing thing this is. This thief believed in the free, unmerited grace of God that was found in Jesus Christ. He believes the truth about Christ and the truth of Christ. No doubt the thief saw the writing over the cross. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Well, who's going to believe that? You're hanging here on Golgotha, the place of the skull, between two thieves, two crooks. Who's going to believe that you're king of the Jews? Nobody unless God does something. But isn't it an amazing thing that God didn't leave himself without a witness on that day? This thief said, Lord, wait a minute. Lord, master, boss, sovereign, one. He's, he's dying on a cross. Yet the thief saw something other people didn't see. Lord, you're my, you're my Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Kingdom? What kingdom? You know, there are many of us here that are in his kingdom. We have a king. I'll tell you flat out, Jesus is my king. King Jesus. I've been thinking about bringing this message. I brought this 50 years ago to Bryansville Baptist Church. And I was reading it over today. And I got happy all by myself. And I said to myself, what a wonder it is. That you, you believe this crucified Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords. And he's your Lord. <clears throat> the heart of faith of this thief rested savingly on Christ. I wonder if you can do that tonight. Yeah, you're a mess. Can you just rest savingly on Christ? I mean, can you just give it all up? Can you, can you raise the white flag? Can you lay the shotgun down? Can you stop your rebellion against not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, not believing on Christ is flat out rebellion. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the command of Almighty God. Believe my son. Trust my boy. Lean on him. And you won't come to him that you might have life. I thought about Sunday. Someone here should have professed faith in Christ. 
but you were too chicken to do so. But you will, eventually. If he's converted you, you're going to acknowledge him as your king, just like this thief. You see, here was divine illumination. What else can you contribute this to? Do you get the scene? Two thieves nailed to a cross, hands and feet, and the king of kings on the middle cross. And this thief turns to him and says, Lord, remember me. Don't you think that's a miraculous thing? Isn't that an awesome thing? See, it wasn't reasonable that Christ should notice this thief. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I try to figure it all out about why would God love me? I, I really can't find a good answer to that outside of the message of grace. It has to be with me. This unmerited favor, this, this what we call Calvinism, this, this truth of the Bible that we are saved by grace alone is just not a creed and a doctrine to me. It's my life. It's my substance. It's the bread of heaven. It's my reason for living. And I'm about to get happy here by myself, mate. And you think about it. I looked across the crowd. We had about 20, 30 people leave for uh, the kids' programs downstairs. But we've got a great crowd here. Most churches don't have this many people on Wednesday evening. This place doesn't make sense. You know, grace never makes any sense. It just doesn't. People, people you know, church people often say, you know, I'm, I'm just praying for you over there. Over there in that inner city mess. Over there with that bunch of drug addicts. Or I'm just... What are you talking about? I'm here with people who love me and I love you. And we're friends and we're rejoicing. We're rejoicing in the grace of God. Well, with the heart man believes. Can you, do you have a new heart? Has God given you a new heart? And a heart to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, here we see the saviorhood of Christ too. Here at Calvary. What a. What a place to see that. Christ might have said, you deserve your fate. You're wicked. You're a robber. You merit death. You've waited too long. You should have sought me sooner before I got to the cross. But Jesus had and promised, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I can say to you street walkers who may be here, who have sold your bodies on the streets of this city, I, I can say to you guys who took advantage of those girls, to you guys who have been drunk and used and shooting up, I can say this to you without any doubt in my mind. Him that cometh to me, what him? Any him, rich him, poor him, dope, dope him, uh, crack him or her, any him that cometh to me, I will not cast them out. Isn't that awesome? The free offer of the gospel. The spirit and the bride say, come, let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will say, oh, I wish I could be saved. Oh, you already have been. You just don't know it yet. By the time you say that, you already have life. I just have to do my best to be used of the spirit of God to get you to confess it. I am his and he's mine. He promised that if I came to him, he wouldn't cast me away. So tonight... 
not very biblical what I'm about to say. I just double-dog dare you to come to Christ. I just double-dog dare you to come to Christ. You see, Jesus took no notice of the insults or reproaches cast on him by the priests and the crowds that day. You think about all the religious people were there. You know, it was religious people that killed Jesus. It wasn't the harlots and whoremongers. It was these Pharisees and Sadducees and religious folks. He paid no attention to them. But there was one who was chosen from all eternity to be on that cross. This thief. You think about that. Predestinated to be on that cross that day. And Jesus knows them that are His and knew them that were His. How excited Jesus must have been to see this thief that God had chosen and given Him before the foundation of the world. And, and the Gospel was not left without a testimony. You know, in the most dire circumstances, when all of hell is popping, get ready and look for someone to say, He's my Lord. And my Savior. It happens over and over again. We not only see the readiness of Christ to save, but also His power. You know, the Bible talks about the suffering of Christ, the physical suffering of Christ. And it was awful. In fact, Isaiah talks about His visage being marred beyond that of any man. You wouldn't recognize Him. I often think about guys that have been blown up in war and you wouldn't recognize them because their bodies have been torn apart. But the Scripture says his face, his visage was beyond that of any man. The suffering of Christ. And then you've got to remember too that on that cross, sin was being imputed to him. You know what it is to have pressure? Uh, to, no, that's very true. To have the weight of something on you that's seemingly unbearable. The weight is just unbearable. Can you imagine what on the tree of the cross he was experiencing when this holy, righteous man who knew no sin, did no sin, had no sin, and God imputed to him all of your sin? And my sin. And it was laid on him. Oh, I'm way over my head now and over your head too. We can't even... You, you can't imagine the shame and the, and the guilt. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he sweat great drops of blood as that computer was running. I believe that imputation of sin was taking place there. And sin was being imputed to him. And he cried, If it's possible, let this cup... Pass for me. He wasn't praying to bypass Calvary. He was praying he wouldn't die there in the Garden of Gethsemane because the weight was so heavy. Only those of us who know a little bit about carrying a weight <coughs> know what suffering that is. It is suffering, but nowhere compared to Him. But He had time for this thief. You know, I just bet he has time for you too.
Those of you who are here tonight and you're saying things like, you know, Pastor, that's such a wonderful story. And I, and I appreciate that, but I just can't imagine God saving somebody like me. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear you say that. Because I know He's already done something for you. Because you wouldn't even know that. You'd never admit that. People just don't go around, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst. I'm the worst person on earth. I'm far worse than you. No, they, we usually try to hide and cover that up. Jesus had time for this thief. You know, I wonder, I have often thought too, how much time there was between the thief asking and the Lord's reply. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then silence. And if the Lord doesn't say something, there's no hope for this guy. And then the Lord Jesus said, Today! I wonder if he could look at him. or I wonder how he did. Today! Not, not tomorrow. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Wow, that had to be an awesome thing. I don't know how that thief stayed on that cross. He, he must have wanted to dance or something. Today thou shalt be with me. You know, you know, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Do you know that? He's the friend of sinners. That's why I often say, if you're here and a sinner and know it, I can say to you, he's a perfect savior for you. But, but, you know, I've often told you this. It's hard to find a sinner. If I can just find a genuine, bona fide, pedigreed, papered sinner, I can say to him or her, Christ died for you. I can say that. But they're hard to find. They're just hard to find. This thief found the very jewel of life on the dunghill of Golgotha. Who would have ever thought the disciples ran away, his mother ran away? All of them ran away and left him there hanging on the tree by himself. And it looked like for a while that there was not going to be a witness. And then right there next to Christ, a dying, no good for nothing, sorry rascal came to know Christ as Savior. There's hope for you, my friend. It's in Jesus Christ. You say, well, Pastor, you know what? I think I see that for myself. I see him as my Savior. Then you ought to hop right up and tell us. We ought to confess him. Here's what uh, Mr. Cowper said. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. William Cowper let me tell you a little bit about William Cowper and then we'll go home. 
William Cowper was a wreck. Tried to kill himself three or four times. I believe from reading a history of William Cowper, who was basically put in children's homes, and I believe he was sexually abused, and, and never really got over that abuse. And he would have just tremendous dips of depression, would try to take his own life. And he got under the preaching of, of uh, the Amazing Grace guy and came to know Christ, but battled his depression and his emotional issues all of his life. And maybe you're here and you've been so badly abused. It's hard for you to believe that there's even any love in the world. Sexual abuse, you, you know, I... I I re- it's so prevalent. And, and honestly and truly, it's not something new. Sexual abuse has been around here and people abusing people and sexual abuse for, for years and years. And you know, you know, in and out of the church, there's so much sexual abuse. Just abuse. But if you're here in one of those... And have given up on yourself because usually abusers tell you how bad you are. You're no good, and this whole thing is your fault anyway. You know, Jesus can take all that away. All of that shame, all of that condemnation, all of that judgment. You can lift your head. You can have a happy life. You can live a productive life. You can bring others to Jesus Christ. You know, I, I wrote Foreknown for that very purpose. I don't know how many years ago. Because I kept hearing over and over and over about sexual abuse. Both from men and women. Mm-hmm. I would say some of you guys who sold yourself in your addiction. There's forgiveness for you. You're past all of that. Somebody else say amen louder than that. You're past all that. In Jesus Christ, he doesn't even remember that stuff. He can't remember your sins. Amen. Amen. Somebody ought to get happy in here besides me. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You think about that. You could, you could have come in here tonight under great condemnation, thinking about all the things that have happened to you and all the things you've done, and you could leave here tonight justified. You know, there's a story in the Bible about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One was a Republican. The other was... Uh, I got that. I got to get that right. One was a publican. One was a publican. One was a Pharisee, of course. And the Pharisee was saying, I thank thee, God. And it's interesting what the scripture says. And the Pharisee prayed with himself. I thank thee, God, that I'm not as other men are. I tithe. I go to the temple. I do this. I do that. But the other wouldn't even lift his head up, but smote himself on his breast and said, God, be propitiatory. Be the appeasing factor Take my place. 
Be the atoner for me. And he went down to his house justified. Rather than the other. Are you a sinner? There's a perfect Savior for you. In Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to trust Him tonight on a Wednesday night. A night that you'll never forget. A night that will make heaven rejoice. By you saying, He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my King. He's my Redeemer. I'm trusting Him and Him alone.